Hi, Kevin. Hello. <laughs> We've been getting a lot of good feedback so far on the first two episodes. Episode two seemed to do pretty well, which is good. If you guys want to follow us on Instagram, that's the best place to interact with the podcast. It's uh, at Mission Prep Podcast. Um, you can go on there. You can message us, leave a comment, stuff like that. And we uh, we try to keep up on that as much as we can. Some people have asked me what they can do to help the podcast out. The best thing you can do is tell somebody about it. Just if, if you're enjoying listening, just tell somebody who doesn't know about it about it. That is the biggest thing you can do. You could also subscribe and rate and review us on the podcast apps or follow if it's Spotify. Um, but yeah, those are the way you guys can help it out so far. I mean, it's growing already, which is good. And we hope it continues to grow. So yeah, Kevin, anything from you over there? Yeah. If you want to support the podcast, be a good person. We don't want shit bags listening to us. Word. Eat your vegetables. Drink water. Stay safe. <laughs> Be kind to your fellow man. Um, yeah. So we're still recording in the garage. We're hoping to be in the studio soon, so the sound will be better. Um, we've got some really good guests lined up that are coming up soon, um, so we're excited to bring those to you. And yeah, like Kevin said, eat your vegetables. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Mission Prep. Our guest today is an old friend of mine. We've been friends for, I don't know how many years, a lot of years. He is a corrections officer and a man who has kicked cancer's ass, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, good old friend of mine. His name is Eric Mortensen. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this is, we, we'll probably call him Mordo during most of this. That's what we've called him since we've known him. But this is the uh, first podcast you've ever been on? It is. First timer. Yeah, it's uh, it's new to us too, so it's don't feel too weird. Cause all right. We're all, all new to it. So I know I was a little out of the loop because you guys were friends when I was in the Army. So I also want to know where and when did you guys meet? We met through uh, mutual friends. Yeah, through Josh and mm-hmm. all of them. Some guys he went to high school with that... I got to know through other friends, and we all became good buddies. Yeah, I met I met Mordo, and I remember when I first met Mordo, he had never had a drink in his life, <laughs> uh, not even a sip, as far as I know. Yeah, and our group of guys were kind of wild back then, and drinking and partying, and, and I mean, because you were raised Mormon, correct? Yeah. Yep, raised Mormon, never drank, never smoked. Then I ran into you guys, and, uh, and we changed that. You corrupted me. <laughs> I, I had Open, nothing to do with that. Open my eyes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, so how? I guess we can talk about that. Uh, were you raised like strict, strict? Mormon? Pretty strict Mormon. Uh, my mom took me to church every Sunday with my brother and sister. Uh, went to seminary in high school. We even went to BYU Idaho for a semester before I quit. Got over there, and it was just too much. It's not the world for me. Were you ever to point like as a kid where you enjoyed it, or did you always? Uh, I never it? really enjoyed it. But I just went because I had to yeah. and sat through it and suffered through it. But it was never really my thing. Yeah, I, I wasn't raised really religious. I mean, I was raised with, like, faith, but not yeah. really religious. How about you, Kevin? Um, 
I mean, I did go to a private school. It was a Christian school. It's called the Logan Academy now. It was a Boise Christian school before that by the cemetery with a Morris Hill, somewhere around there. So I was. My grandma was Mormon. My grandpa was not. And that eventually, I think, is part of what led to them divorcing, like in their late 60s, early 70s. Jeez. It was just too, I, I, maybe just, it might have been more than that. You know, I really don't really know. My family's not one to talk about mm-hmm. feelings, I guess, a lot. But uh, I do know they were extremely strict growing up. And then my mom and my aunts, there was four of them. They were all probably all out of the house by the time they were 16. They're just, I think the having a household that strict is not beneficial sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was largely due in part because of my grandma, the way she was. But yeah, I'm, I've always been interested by religion. and. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, it's kind of funny. So the name of the podcast is Mission Prep. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. did not even think about that <laughs> when we made the name. And now that we have some stuff out there, it's coming up for people. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning... Every time they type in Mission Prep Podcast, a bunch of LDS podcasts yeah. were coming up. I didn't even think about missionaries, all that good stuff. And still, I think on Google Podcasts, I still can't find it. It's, it they told me it's on there. I can't find it. All yeah. that comes up is these Mormon missionary yeah. podcasts. So I was thinking the same thing on my way here today. Yeah, and <laughs> I've, had, I've had a couple of people mention that to me. Um, but now that we have some stuff out there, I know like on Spotify, on Apple Ours is coming up first, mm-hmm. which is good. That is good because when we, when I first found that out, I'm like, oh no, we got to change the name. But I had already made like T-shirts with the logo and have a whole social media and all this, which I could have changed everything. But the shirts, I'm like, that would have been a big waste of money. But I'm glad because it popped up on there, and yeah. So, um, so when did you start kind of drifting away from? The religion. I would say towards like the end of high school, I started having my doubts. And then like I just got pushed by my family to go to BYU-Idaho. And I was out on my own. I realized I can make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to do it if I didn't want to. And so I transferred to Boise State. And I just got there and they were so overbearing and so controlled there. It's, they had a curfew at like 11.30 or 18 years old. You can't wear shorts. You can't wear sandals. You can't have a girl in your room. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to leave your apartment by 9.00. It was just too much for me. It's like, I'm an adult. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be controlled like a child. What did your your family think about you? Kind of like, did you hide it from them at first that you didn't want to be involved? Or? A little bit. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I'm going to Boise State. I'm clearly not going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. My mom was disappointed. I could tell that. She always pushed me to go back to church. Still does. Mm-hmm. But like my dad never went to church when I was growing up. So he's been just fine with it. And so he, he stayed home while you guys. All oh yeah. He would stay home. Oh man. Was there yeah. many fights about that in the house? No, <laughs> really? No, not in front of the, us at least. Yeah. But, well, that's, yeah. that's good. It was how that's it was good. my entire time growing up. Yeah. My dad never went to church. My mom made us go. So was he more understanding when he Oh yeah. saw that you didn't want mm-hmm. to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I was raised with kind of faith. And as I got older, I kind of drifted away from that. Yeah. I mean, I still am. I don't know what I believe in. It's, yeah. Some days I think I believe in something. Some days I don't. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, the more you, you look into science and stuff like that, yeah. it, it, to me, a lot of it's fairy tales. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's good for people to have faith. And I have no problem with somebody who is a religious person. I, oh, yeah. I think there's integrity in that, stuff yeah. like that. But Bible's still a good read, though. Yeah, yeah. It's just good to read, you know, for one, the, when, it was, when these books were actually written, how long ago it was, and how... 
well versed some of these these writers were in like sociology, psychology. Yeah, like exactly. they can pretty much predict how people will act if they don't have a foundation of morals, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it is good to read to know like wow, like you know, a lot of people try to pass them off as just idiots back then. Like, oh, they're just barely not caveman anymore. Like, no, they were had a good understanding of people. Yeah. Um, and actually I think we were talking about the other day, but I bought this book. It's called like the psychology of religion. And it was like a Harvard professor. He wrote in like 1910. And one of the parts in it was about the Mormon religion. It was a Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. how he was actually an epileptic. And that's where his visions came from. Oh, really? And he was a, like a narcissistic, egotistical, egomaniac, whatever he says. He, yeah. he words it weird way. They talked to him back then. It's weird, weird terminology he's using. But that's basically what it was. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, go figure that he would want polygamy mm-hmm. because he's able to manipulate a bunch of young women into all being his wives, you know. And then they go on to point out, like, no, I don't think in this book is a separate book. It was done by, like, a PhD in theology. And one of the – there was a bunch of statistics, but one of them was, like, 3,000 plagiarized verses straight from the King James Bible. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was – just blatant, just yeah. made his own religion to have some power, mm-hmm. you know? And it was, after reading that, I'm like, damn, there's a lot of people, I wonder if a lot of people in the religion understand that, but they don't care because it's still part of their family. It's part of their subculture, yeah. right? Maybe. I, I, I mean, I think that's part of it, but then at the same time, like, they push you so hard to not read anything that's anti-Mormon or anything that's not from the church. So anything just like that is just dismissed as, oh, it's from Satan. <laughs> it's like, now, looking at it now, like, history, like, that was legitimate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he married a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, a, like it's I said, never been okay. There's a, there's a lot of screwy <laughs> stuff in every religion, I think. Yeah. But I think some people, it gives them, like, a good moral compass and yeah. gives them good values and things like that. I know when I the way I was raised, it gave me some certain values I still hold on to. Mm-hmm. And I've, I haven't been to church since... I was 10 years old, probably. I mean, other than my son getting baptized, I went to a church for that, but it wasn't a church service. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I don't know, it's kind of a an odd thing, and it's it's got to be, like, weird for somebody like you who was raised so strict. I mean, that was life, and then you stepped away from mm-hmm. it. That's it's kind of crazy, I guess. Yeah. Just, you know, I come to a realization that, at least I did, that you don't need, like, a middleman to be mm-hmm. good with God if there is a God. Yeah. Like, you can have your own relationship you go there you don't need to yeah be in any organization mm-hmm. and you know gives people pretty money to be good yeah 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 you don't have to do your you don't have to pay your way into heaven yeah your acts of work or whatever it's called yeah you know like oh you can be a piece of shit in a national field as long as you're doing your your acts of, mm-hmm. you know your work or whatever yeah you're fine no i thought it was about being a on a Consistently a good person at people. Yeah. On yeah. Basis. You treat your fellow man and everything. Huh? And yeah. That's another thing that rubs me the wrong way about a lot of religions is they look down on certain people for certain things they do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought this was about supposed to love everybody, you know, yeah. love thy neighbor or whatever it says. Mm-hmm. And like, say if someone's homophobic, homophobic homosexual, <laughs> or uh, if they drink or whatever, if they're doing something that's not up to par for that religion, then they're judged and they're going to hell. And I, I disagree with that. I don't, I don't like that way of thinking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the hegemony, right? Mm-hmm. That's from the top down, man. Like yeah. when you, when that's what's established, that's what you better obey or else you are now an outlier mm-hmm. and outliers are, you know, looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally agree. And so that everyone should have a foundation. 
yeah. a good foundation because people that don't, you realize that, again, if you're looking at what the Bible is talking about, the people that lack all those moral foundations, you immediately can't help but have like a hate towards them. You yeah. know, you know, like killing the wicked, right? But, you know, it doesn't always have to be so cut and dry either, you know. Yeah. So how many uh, siblings do you have? I have an older brother and older sister, yeah. so I'm youngest of three. And your older brother passed away, yeah. correctly. my older brother was killed in Iraq in 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? How like how did that affect you? I mean, you were senior in high school. Yeah, I just graduated. Seven. It was in November after I graduated from yeah. high school. Um, it changed my life, turned it upside down. I bet. Um, you how, know, how much older was he? Five years. Yeah. yeah. So he was 23, um, and it just completely changed your perspective on life, like, how am I going to live my life? How can I honor him every day mm-hmm. and still, you know, be proud of that and mm-hmm. what he did? How am I going to deal with that? How long was he in the military? He was in for four years yeah. and he was working as a contractor when he got killed. Oh, wow. So he just got out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. Cause and, I know, I know, I know from knowing you, you hold him very close to your heart. Yeah. You always have, I, I think as long as I've known you, he's been passed. Yeah. But I, that's why I knew he had passed because you hold him in such high regard yeah. as, and, as you should. And it's, you know, it's been like almost 13 years now and it still feels the same every day. I, you know, I, still I like the same imagine. kick in the gut, but mm-hmm. you just learn to deal with it. You just get used to it. And yeah, it was, I think, uh, it's a couple of years ago. I heard Tim Kennedy talking about it on Memorial day. And he said the best way to honor somebody that died is to uh, live your life like an American worth dying for. Mm-hmm. And that just really resonated with me I and it summed up perfectly. Like, you know, live your life in a way that's worthy of their sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, what would make. What would they want you to do? How would they want you to live? Mm-hmm. Make it worth it. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never lost anybody that close to me. I've lost family members, yeah. but never anybody that close. I know Kevin has lost close friends, also overseas, and I can't even imagine the toll that takes on you. I mean, I've nothing but respect for those people that go over there and put their life on the line. You know, I, I have a big respect, but you probably have a whole different respect than I do because of the family member of yours or Kevin who had very close friends. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when it comes to that, uh, did it change everybody in your family's life? Your parents, everybody. Oh yeah. Everybody changed completely. completely. Yeah. It's just two different worlds before yeah. and after, you know, mm-hmm. just a monumental change in our family and how we think about things, how we, you know, talk to each other. We're yeah. A lot more open with feelings now. Yeah. Tell each other how you know we love each other and everything. I think that's how it should yeah. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was raised in a household where we it was maybe too much feelings to where the point <laughs> like I'm an adult now and my mom still talks to me like I'm a small child. Yeah, and maybe that'll never go away. I don't think it will. But <laughs> and but I took that onto my own kids and I love them with all my heart and I try to show them that every day and I think it's important for a child to to feel and to see that their parents are human beings and have emotions mm-hmm. can share feelings and Absolutely. stuff like that. That's a uh, gotta be crazy to some to deal with, you know, losing, especially your brother. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's that's just something insane. you never expect to have happen, but you just gotta deal with the hands yeah. you dealt, you know? Yeah. And make long run, make you a better person. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. You gotta try to make it as positive as you can and get as most out of it as you can. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lesson to be learned from it yeah. all around. And it shows a lot in, your character too. Cause some people can have something like that happen to them and 10 years down the road, it's still, they're worse off than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. And they can always, well, this happened to me, that happened to me. 
So yeah, shit happens, you know, and it, it is relative, you know, and so to make it into a positive, make yourself a better person, make the people around you better because of it, you know, your, your mother, your sister, you know, bring it all together collectively as a, a family unit. That's mm-hmm. very good. And think about thousands of years ago, you know, or the Vikings, how they memorized brothers yeah. dying mm-hmm. in, I don't know, axe to axe combat, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they saw that happen right in front of them. <clears throat> the shit was crazy. And they had their own way of, um, overcoming those obstacles. Native Americans had their own way of overcoming obstacles. Yep. So we have a lot to learn from people that, you know, sometimes we kind of disregard. It's like, yeah. you know, they, there was, there was an effective way of bringing ourselves together, our families yeah. together after mm-hmm. hardships, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the Hispanic culture is kind of still that way. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. my wife is Mexican and they do more of like a celebration of their person's life. I mean, you've seen movies, cartoon movies like Coco or things like that. And it's, it's all about celebrating the people who have passed. That's really cool. That's something I've kind of learned through my wife and her family. And I, I think that's the way it should be. You should celebrate that person who was here. And yeah, you're going to mourn. You're going to be sad. You might be sad about it for the rest of your life. But like you said, kind of living in their honor, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's very important. And that's something I've taken from being around my wife's family who that's, I think that's just in their culture. Kind of like you were just talking about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so you said you have a sister as well. I have a sister. What's the age difference? She's nine years older than me. She's okay. the oldest. So you're the baby. I'm the baby. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that makes it even harder on your mom, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's. Uh, are you and her close? Oh uh, yeah, pretty close. Yeah. I mean, as close as you can be, being nine years apart. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we have a pretty good relationship. That's good. So did you ever have any aspirations of joining the military or anything like that? Uh, a little bit in high school, and then. I just felt like it wasn't the right time for me to do it. And then shortly after I decided not to go, my brother got killed. And then at that point, part of me wanted to go and do it. And then the other part was like, that's going to destroy my parents. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm just deployed and not, nothing happens to me physically, like mm-hmm. that's just going to destroy them. The I, worry saw, of it. I saw how close they were to like falling apart when my mm-hmm. brother died. Yeah. And I was just, I couldn't do that to them. Yeah. So I decided to go to college and try to get into law enforcement. What would you go? What was your major? Social science and criminal justice. Yeah. So I remember when you were, you, that was your plan was to go into law enforcement. Yep. It was forever. Yep. And I guess talk about that path a little bit. What After college, how did, how did that go? So it's after college, I just started applying at every agency and department around here that I could get an application for. I eventually got on with working corrections where I'm at now. Um, it took about a year for me to get on there. And I'm still there. They mm-hmm. pay better than any other department in the Valley, really. Wow. What's, so what's a, like a day-to-day in the life of a corrections officer? Like how, does, how does that work? You know, most day, 90% of the time, it's the most boring job in the world. Mm-hmm. You're just hanging out, watching people, make sure they don't do anything. And then that 10% of the time, shit is hitting the fan. You know, you're fighting guys. There's guys cutting up, trying to kill themselves, mm-hmm. everything. Like you can imagine it. It's happened. Yeah. I've seen it. Like, Any right. present show you've seen, mm-hmm. like those aren't lies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, like how everybody's different. So when you react to that, do you, or do you, do you kind of get introspection on it? Like, do you embrace the chaos when that happens? Or is it really just like something that kind of pushes you into a hole? Kind of embrace it, I would say. And then everything kind of just slows down when I'm in there. I'm calm. Like it's, it's kind of a calming thing. 
So you're just, your team's there, you're just taking care of business. You know what you got to do. That's just step by step getting through it to get a handle. Then it's just knowing what to do in the training is calming at that point. Yeah, right. You know, there's yeah. a lot of chaos going on. Yeah, the warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What kind of uh, training do they give you guys like to deal with situations where shit goes crazy? So we've had a lot of de-escalation training, mental health training, how to talk to people, how to talk to people going through mental crises mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, oddly enough, not a whole lot of like physical training. Like we get Krav Maga in the academy. And then like, I think that's far too common. Like with what's going on in the world with police and yeah. stuff like that. From what I've understood, there's not much physical training. No. There. We get like a week of it in the academy. And then once one day a year during our in-service, mm-hmm. we get it for like four hours. Do you, do you have any guys, including yourself, that ever think to go outside of the department and like go take a jujitsu class? Yeah, there's or, quite a few that do. Yeah. I personally don't. I'd like to get into it, but I haven't found a gym yet out in my area. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. We've talked about that on previous podcasts, I think, but, and I, I think it's been talked about on a lot of podcasts because of what's going on in the world that uh, something like jujitsu for police mm-hmm. or a corrections officer who's has to have physical altercations with people from time to time is a great thing. Yeah. It's a valuable tool that I'm surprised isn't more prevalent. Yeah. Like, yeah. It seems like people more training. have to do it themselves. Yeah. And maybe there's different departments in the country that mm-hmm. provide training like that. But I know I actually mentioned Tim Kennedy. I just saw a thing on, he's partnering with some VR company, virtual reality really? for training for police officers. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. That's which I've played VR before and I could see how you could, you could do some training on there. And yeah, uh, I saw he made a post the other day about they're going to do like certain types of training with VR. I'm kind of curious to see, see what that is. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you've thought about doing something like that, like some kind of, yeah. Yeah. I think I'd like to get into it. I think it'd be a good skill to have and just good mentally and Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. This is good because when you get really confident with your body, and how to manipulate somebody else's, it's empowering, you know? Mm-hmm. And just yeah. wrestling in general. Mm-hmm. Just knowing... Any grappling. Yeah. Where to get your center of mass in relation to somebody else's and just... Yeah, no, it's 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 fun and it's rewarding when you you have that practical application. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, this is way easier to dominate a fool than get having to use four guys using the wrong leverage points and everything else. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Yeah. When you know that on your own, you can handle one guy. Mm-hmm. Um for someone that's not a black belt, I don't know how easy it is to manipulate two people at a time with jujitsu. I think that's kind of where you need to resort to kickboxing. <laughs> yeah. um, but if it's one on one, for sure, you're going to dominate someone who knows nothing. Yeah. Um, if you know some of it, you know. Well, that's even like I am by no means an expert in jujitsu. I've been doing it for two years on and off. But somebody, say even you, Mordo, if you took jujitsu for two months and somebody who has never taken jujitsu tried to harm you, you would manhandle them. Yeah. It's like your mind goes right to the place on what to do correctly, how to protect yourself and how to manipulate their body. Like Kevin was saying, I've seen that in my jujitsu class, somebody new will come in. We had this one kid come in. Uh, he was an athlete from BSU, big Samoan kid. He looked big. He looked strong. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get crushed. <laughs> and we start rolling, and I'm destroying him. And it was to the point where I didn't realize what I was doing. And I wasn't, like, tapping him out every two seconds, but I wasn't giving him a chance to do anything. After that happened, 
my coach decided when it was his turn to roll with me, he was going to do to me what I just did to him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what, why he was doing it, except he was tapping me out every two seconds, doing some missions on me I've never even heard of or seen. And after it was done, I'm like, what was that about? And he says, I just made you feel the way he probably felt with you. And he's like, were you threatened by him? I'm like, oh, a little. He's huge. He said, but as soon as it started, did you feel a threat? Or did you feel like it was easy? And I was like, felt like it was easy. And he's like, but you kept going. And then I realized my mistake there, I felt like such an ass. I felt like a bully. And so I apologized to the guy and, and all that stuff. But I learned my lesson not to go so hard on someone who's new. I just thought he was big and strong. Yeah. But in jujitsu, big and strong, if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that sport was made for little people. Mm-hmm. Brazilians and originally Japanese, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was made for little people to be able to beat a big person. Now, once the big person learns it too, then the little guy's screwed again. Obviously. But, yeah. I mean, there's people smaller than me in my gym that destroy me. Yeah. I have no tr- no chance at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. And so you said, uh, like, de-escalation stuff. What, what are they, how does that work? You know, it's just like remaining calm to calm the other person down there, like yelling and screaming at you, just say, just... Speaking in a calm, rational voice, keep your tone down. Don't start motherfucking them and taking it up to the next level, which is hard to do sometimes when they're threatening to kill you and kill your family. You just want to be like, fuck you, motherfucker. Yeah. Let's do this then. Yeah. But no, that's frowned upon. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's kind of what we would do in deployments. But then at the end, they didn't speak English. So yeah. it was just like immediately venting and you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck down, motherfucker. You're just, you're just cussing dudes out. Yeah. And you're just you're just immediately in that reaction mode, you know? Yeah, so I think it's really beneficial and professional to be able to hold all that back, mm-hmm. you know, without getting emotional and taking it to the next level. Like yeah. that's, that shows a lot about somebody, you know? Yeah, it's good to have that restraint. and I mean, you got to leave somewhere to go in case it goes really bad, but yeah, yeah you need to stay calm. Do they, working at a prison, is there like different departments? Like, do you guys have like a tactical department or... Like things like that? Yeah, we have like a SWAT team there. It's a part-time, just made up of random officers that are on it. Uh-huh. Um, other than that, there's like a crisis negotiation team. So if somebody gets taken hostage, there's people on that. But it's not, none of them are like full-time. They're uh-huh. all just like people do it off or part-time, you know. They have training one day a month, two days a month, uh-huh. stuff like that. Hmm. Do you ever, is there ever like an inmate in there? Can you get along with them? Like, do you get along with any of them? Yeah, you can get a pretty good rapport with some of them. Yeah. Yeah, joke around with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is probably better. Yeah, oh yeah, imagine. definitely. Because you're going to be in there with them. Mm-hmm. You might as well get along. Yeah, you know, if you show them just a basic level of respect, it goes a long ways. Yeah. You know, because they just want to be treated partially like a human being, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that goes a long way. Just being courteous to them, saying, hey, can I get you to do this, please? Instead of yelling at them to do it, mm-hmm. it's over a lot smoother and make your job a whole lot easier. I'd imagine if you're making their life harder, the less they can tolerate being in there and then where they're going to act out or try to against themselves or other people. So yeah. imagine if you make it tolerable, then it's like, all right, maybe I can just hash this time out I've gotten here and mm-hmm. get by, you know? Yeah. yeah. So what I'll tell them. It's like, I'll make your day easy if you make mine easy, mm-hmm. you know, but if you make it hard, I'm going to make it as hard as I can on you. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's two way street. Yeah. So you said anything you've seen in movies, stuff like that is probably kind of how, so is there like, like, groups of people like by race things like oh, that, yeah. that you see everything's segregated yeah yeah is, is there any mixing of that or are they very little and it's very frowned upon wow yeah wow. like you'll go in like the chow hall and it's white guys sitting together mexicans sitting together and blacks sitting together mm-hmm. and the natives 
Wow. Very little mixing. Unless there's like some heavy business going down. Yeah. Big politics going down. They don't sit together on the yard. They don't really hang out together. The yeah, whites use this corner of the way pile. Yeah. Wow. Everything. I, I've, I've never been in prison, so I, I've always wondered because I've seen movies and documentaries and yeah. all that stuff on it. I was in jail once and don't, don't want to go back. <laughs> but yeah, imagine when you're in survival mode, like most of them are, they're not, they're going to go to the thing that makes them the most comfortable, the fastest, yep. you know, and that's not going to be blending in with somebody else's subculture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They'll refuse to live together. I mean, to every aspect of their life, they'll just refuse to interact. Do they ever like, cause I'm guessing they have like, like a roommate. Mm-hmm. Do are they ever mixed that way? Like we have like a black dude and white dude sharing a cell or is that only by accident? It's usually going to be a fight that happens immediately or one of them will just refuse to go in the cell. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They'll just look at you and like, really, you know, we can't live together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's what the boss told me. So make it happen. Wow. And you've been doing that. You said five years, five years, just hit five years last month. That's cool. Yeah. Do they have programs in there? Can I give them a sense of purpose? Those are programs like, are they out in, are they contributing to society? Are they building things or doing anything like that? Yeah, there's a lot of programs like that. Uh, there's a construction course they can take. They build sheds that get sold all over that area. Um, they learn electrician work, welding. Um, they get their high school diploma. Some of them can work on some college classes. There's a little bit of everything if they're a certain incentive level oh, that nice. they can use to gain some skills to work out there in the real world and be productive and mm-hmm. not resort back to the behaviors that got them in there in the first place. Yeah. I think it's way better than just sticking someone in a cell and saying, cool, you got 10 years. Just hang out here. Yeah. Yeah. Lay on your bunk and watch TV all day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're going to resort with, if they do get out back to their old habits and end up right back in. Never learn anything. Which I've heard there's some people who they get so institutionalized and they end up liking being there. Yeah. So when they, if, when, or if they do get out, they go back almost on purpose. Because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. they felt some sort of order in prison. Yeah. Which I, I guess would make sense, especially for someone whose life is so chaotic outside of it. Yeah. And just in the five years I've been there, I've seen a handful of guys come straight back within six months of getting out of prison. Wow. They'll be back in my unit. Yeah. We'll be working with them, or there'll be guys getting ready to get out within the next year who've been down for 15, 20 years, and they're saying, I'm not ready to get out there. Like, I will assault somebody here to get more time because I can't survive on the streets. Do they, do they give them, when someone's released, I don't even know if you know this, but do they give them any help once they get out, like financially or anything like a housing? There are some programs in the state that do that. Um, nothing from the prison itself. They get like a card to get on the bus mm-hmm. and then it's got like a hundred bucks on it. And then they got to go check in with their probation officer. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the road from us. Like Until you might see them Until they come back, you know, yeah. six months later. Wow. Um, so... I guess we'll go ahead and talk about things you've been through in the past year or so, or maybe longer than that now. So you are a cancer survivor. I am. And you've been in remission how long? Uh, just over a year. That's awesome. Yep. That's really cool. So June was my year. Mm-hmm. Uh, got diagnosed in February 2019 with testicular cancer. I had put off going to the doctor for about two months with symptoms, thinking it would just go away. What, what were the symptoms? Uh, just a lot of pain. My groin, mm-hmm. one of my testicles was swollen and super hard and just got worse and worse. Yeah. I thought I was going to be able to walk it off and it would go away. Turns out you can't walk off cancer. <laughs> um, but then it's, I had waited so long, it started spreading to my back and my midsection. And uh, when I knew I had to go to the doctors, one day I was at work 
I was just doubled over in pain and couldn't stand upright. I was like, oh, time to go in. So I went in like the next day on my day off. And they sent me in thinking I had a hernia. They sent me for an ultrasound. And then like 20 minutes after I leave, I'm driving home from the hospital. They call me and tell me, oh, yeah, you don't have a hernia. You've got cancer. Oh, my gosh. And that was a Friday. And they're like, you're going to hear from a specialist Monday to make an appointment with them. Uh, but until then, like, you're done with uh, We're done with you. You'll hear from them. So that was the longest weekend of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Monday, I get a call from the Misty, St. Luke's Misty. And they say, all right, come in Wednesday morning. You're going to meet with uh, this doctor who's also the surgeon. So I go on Wednesday morning. Well, in the meantime, they had me go get a CAT scan and a bunch of blood work done. So I go in Wednesday and we go over all that. And he's like, yeah, it's spread into your back. Uh, you're going to need probably a lot of chemo just to kill it all. But good news is, like, it's got like a 98% cure rate. Just in, like, the last 30 years, it's tripled in cure rate. Wow. So that was Wednesday morning. And then he tells me, oh, I need you back at the hospital at 3.30. You're having surgery tonight. They removed, they removed the test one? Yeah, removed my right one. Took that. Uh-huh. And, yeah. How was how was going through just the beginning of that and having to get a test score removed? Was that, like, a mind fuck to you? Yeah, or? it was just a shock and it would happen so quick. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have time to process it. Yeah. It's just like, and it's just happening. It's got to go. Yeah. They're taking a piece of you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Does it, so does that take away? Like if you wanted to have children, are you, is that possible still? Or? Yeah, it's still possible. Um, they had me bank some sperm before I started all my chemo and everything. So just as a backup plan, just in okay. case, but supposedly only need one to, for everything to work. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, wow. what he told me. I had no idea. Yeah. Picks up the slack. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, I remember when you first kind of started going through that, I don't remember how I had heard about it, but I had heard about it. I remember I, I texted you to make sure everything's going okay because we hadn't seen each other in quite a while. We, we texted on and off throughout mm-hmm. throughout the stuff. And yeah, I was pretty, I was really happy to hear that it's been over a year that yeah. that's that's got to be like a big weight off your it shoulders. It was, yeah. It was just a crazy like five months. I was off work and just going and spending eight hours a day. The hospital getting pumped full of chemo. What, what was that like? The chemotherapy? Was that just hell? Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Just get more exhausted than you could have ever imagined. And like, I was trying to watch the new Game of Thrones when it was coming out while I was sitting there through my treatment. You can't concentrate on anything. I couldn't read a book. All I could do was watch like shows I've seen a hundred times. Then mm-hmm. you get mouth sores and everything just tastes like metal. It doesn't matter what you're eating. Ugh. If you can eat it, it tastes like metal. Wow. It's no fun. That's another thing I've only seen on TV and movies is yeah. people going through like the chemotherapy, yeah. and throwing up nonstop and things like that. But see, I never really had too much of the nausea. They pumped, mm-hmm. they give you so many anti-nausea meds and steroids and stuff to combat that. And it worked for me, thankfully, because I didn't have to deal with that. But all the other side effects. Damn. I went bald, all that. Oh, you did? I did go bald. Hair came back though, I oh, would yeah. imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. My, my dad had uh, cancer in his kidney, and the, he didn't have to do any chemo. He ended up getting a kidney removed, and they got it all. Nice. But now he's on dialysis, and he has been now for, I think, like four years or five years. It's still on dialysis twice a week. Yeah. But because his other kidney just won't won't take over what the other one was doing. Yeah. But it's yeah, rough. yeah, cancer's no joke. It's, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Do, do they know yeah. what causes testicular cancer? Like, is there any... Nothing set in stone. Like, all my doctors told me, you just have bad luck. Like, 
you didn't do anything specifically. It's not like lung cancer and smoking. Mm-hmm. It's you just got bad luck. And young too. And yeah. Young. Well, I mean, it was an average age for testicular oh, cancer. Like that goes from like twenty to thirty is your highest risk group. Oh wow! Because wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think most people when they think about cancer, they think of older. Oh, yeah. People when I was getting it. my treatments, I was the youngest guy in the whole room mm-hmm. by at least 20 years. And everyone's just like, man, you were young to be in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So maybe it, when it comes to testicular cancer, it's like when you're going to get it, you're going to get it young. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Which I think is kind of a good thing because you're younger, you're healthier, you can handle the chemo a lot better because it's, it's a rough regimen. They told me, like my doctor sent me down and said, it's going to kick your ass, but it's going to work. So you just got to mm-hmm. like power through it. Do you feel like you become a stronger person because of that? I think so. I think, it, oh, again, it helps put things in perspective. Like, mm-hmm. nothing that I've, that's happened to me since then has been that bad. You know, it just really shows you what's important in life. Mm-hmm. That, you know, all the petty things that go wrong in your day really aren't that bit bad in the big picture of things. And you just got to pick up and keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the perspective is a big thing, too. You know, like, for people to kind of take life for granted in general a lot of their day-to-day routine is like waking up, watching Netflix, going to work, coming back, watching Netflix, drinking, and that's their day-to-day life. Yeah. It's like maybe to you it's not wasting, but my, from my point of view, that's just wasting life. It doesn't last that long. Yeah. In terms of the universe time scale, your life is very insignificant. So yeah. do something cool. Yeah. You know? Do it while you got the chance. Yeah. Push yourself. Give yourself some purpose every day. You yeah. Know? So you yeah. never know when something's going to happen that's going to change that and take that away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, as cliche as it sounds, like create a bucket list? Because, I mean, you almost you were almost gone. Did you no. think, like, there's shit I want to do now? No, not really. I never thought I was going to die from it. That, that's good. too stubborn to let something like that kill me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just got up every day and dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be a burden on anybody going through my treatment. I drove myself to and from chemo every day. Mm-hmm. Just, I just had to deal with it on my own. I didn't want to be a charity case or anything. It's just everybody's got shit they got to go through. That was just my deal. Wow. Yeah. Huh. No, it's interesting that who gets it in general, cancer in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of stories of people passing away that have healthy lifestyles. You yeah. know, I think my grandma, she never smoked or drank or anything. You know, she's Mormon and she had liver, lung, and bone cancer. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, clearly it was genetic predisposition yeah because it wasn't lifestyle mm-hmm. you know yeah there's lots of stories out there like very healthy people people it's all time there's there's having a lot of struggle in life with cancer mm-hmm. we're, we're not making it you know yeah it sucks yeah i had a an uncle who was he was pretty old he was he's a step uncle of mine and he was old when i met him but he was diagnosed with cancer in his back in like 97 yeah and he refused any treatment. Mm-hmm. He said, screw that. I'm going to beat this myself. And he starts researching like diets and all these things that could help with cancer. And he lived till, I think it was 2015. Jeez. And but by the time 2015 hit, he was in so much pain. He would take like, I don't know how many aspirin a day. He was taking so much that one day I remember, because he was living with my parents towards the end of his life. And he was walking out of their camper and he nicked his arm and it bled so bad because his blood was so thin. Yeah. And that was the day because he, he had not even gone back to a doctor since 97. Really? For anything. And he was a, he was an odd dude. He was blind. 
he would literally walk from his house over to like Lowe's to get material to like building stuff. Mm -hmm. The guy's blind and he'd pull this cart behind him and he would carry lumber on this little cart. And so he was not, he was an odd guy, really smart, almost genius. And, uh, but he would never go to a doctor. And so that day he nicked himself. My mom and dad are telling him, you need to go, you need to go somewhere because mm -hmm. that bleeding's not going to stop. He's putting like mole skin and stuff on it. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't stop it. I came over and I told him, I said, you need to go to the hospital. Do you, you want to sit here and die? Cause that's, what's going to happen. You're going to bleed out. Mm -hmm. Some reason he listened to me. He went to the doctor and he had cancer through his whole body. I mean, every inch of it. With, and he ended up passing away. Yeah. Not much longer after that. But I mean, from 97 to, I think it was 2015, somewhere around there yeah. with his body was riddled with cancer. Mm -hmm. And I could only imagine the pain he was in. Oh yeah. His, that all those years that's mm -hmm. that's crazy and I, I apparently there is people who have changed the diet and changed things in their body but it's like there's a reason that there's uh doctors out there right. and yeah. treatments yeah. and i mean yeah, i think they know a few things yeah yeah <laughs> it's expensive but it seems to work so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you so you said you had to take time off of work when all this was yep. happening yep so from the time of my surgery up through all my chemo it's about four mm -hmm. months I went back to work the week after I finished chemo, which mm -hmm. was a big mistake. Looking back, <laughs> I should have taken a few more weeks off to recover because I was just worthless when I got back. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be dead-ass tired after my shift. And I didn't even do much because everyone was picking up my slack, knowing, trying to be nice to me and everything. Mm -hmm. I just go and collapse for, like, 10 hours. So yeah. do you feel like today, like, nothing happened? Oh, yeah. I feel pretty much back to normal. That's cool. You know, occasionally I'll get, like, that same taste in my mouth, the metallic taste. But mm -hmm. I have that and, like, that tinnitus in my ears. From the chemo, but that's about it. Wow. Yeah. It sucks. And a couple of scars. Yeah. Yeah, I have tinnitus as well. Yeah. And it's killed. It sucks. Yeah. Because really, you're just sitting there in a quiet room. Next thing you know, it's just like, it's the only thing you can hear. Yeah. And it's just, okay. Is it like a high pitch or what is it? Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, it's just like, you. it's like you can hear it from the lights. Mm -hmm. But you're staring at a light and you can just hear it in your head. It's like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you lay in bed at night and just hit you. Yeah. 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 Terrible. Chemotherapy causes that. Yeah. One of the chemicals I got. Oh, wow. I think it was the cisplatinum. It's liquid platinum caused it. So I had to get my hearing tested before I started it and afterwards. Mm -hmm. And my breathing and stuff too, because some of the other chemo I got can affect your lungs really bad. Damn. Yeah. Wow. So, so like, what are your side effects from chemo is... Leukemia or lung cancer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, let's trade one cancer for the other. Yeah. Yeah. Guess I'll find out. Wow. Yeah, those are not good either. No. There was a kid who just died at Fort Wainwright. He was a soldier. He was like 21. He died of leukemia. They didn't diagnose him. Really? They're like, oh, we don't know. And they sent him, I think, to Washington to the hospital. And and then they put his, pronounced it like his, he was like death of natural causes. They just, I don't know if that's normal or was it because they just did not diagnose him for so long? That, yeah. Like, no, he had leukemia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't fuck around with that. No. I, when I, I was in, I had an ambulance ride to the hospital in August because I had a panic attack that put me in AFib and the, the firemen came and everything and they did an EKG and they're like, yeah, he needs to go to the hospital. It ended up not beating my heart. That was just an effect of it being so continuous like the panic attack wouldn't stop it was going i think it went for like 30 minutes i mean just like hyperventilating i couldn't get my heart rate down 
Mm-hmm. Um, was that the night I didn't answer your phone call? No. This was, I didn't go to the hospital that night. Okay. I almost did. Um, <laughs> you would have if I would have answered my phone. Yeah, I would have, and they would have just said the same thing. Um, yeah, that, I ended up doing like a stress test, and he's like, oh, yeah, your heart's fine. Yeah. Um, he was just like, you should research uh, psychedelics and see if there's a, a place around here that will get you into doing psychedelic treatment. Um, the next scenario would be uh, TRT, testosterone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people were getting panic attacks. They have blast injuries or PTSD, which I have both. And, yes, they're saying a lot of it could be testosterone-related. Really? You know, your serotonin drops, and then your body's, your mind's just less resilient to life when it's, um, when your testosterone drops prematurely. Mm-hmm. You know, mine was at, like, a 370. Yeah. And the VA, because they're, the VA doctors are, because it's not interns, it's a uh, residency, and, uh, when I did my testosterone, they said, oh, yeah, it's, it's low normal, mm-hmm. but it's actually, that's at the low spectrum. And when you look at those numbers, that's correlating with someone who's like in their late 40s, early 50s, yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, testosterone doesn't have to, you, know, you can have an athlete with a 450 and write some kid behind a computer all day who has a 500. So yeah. it's really about the symptoms. But it, there's like a lot of, I think, causal correlation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's terrifying going to the, hospital with like you know your heart rate around 200 or something like that yeah and then it'd be crazy yeah um yeah so yeah i don't like hospital visits mm-hmm. so i understand when you're like i said you that's what i was that's what i was gonna ask when you had that whole weekend to think about it and you can just sit there and catastrophize things what was keeping you level-headed for those two days for monday i was i was just worried the whole time i didn't know what to expect i just wanted to get the real news down, you know, find out what's actually going on, what I had to, what I was facing, like just the unknown was the worst part of that. And you just, I couldn't do anything. I just have to just sit there and think about it. Did you tell anybody what was going on during those two days or did you keep it to yourself? No, so the day I found out, I'd called my sister and told her, cause I was going to call my parents and tell them, but they were out of town on a cruise. So they couldn't find, they didn't have service or anything. So I called my sister and she was up in Seattle at the time. So she actually got me to fly out there Saturday morning. So I spent Saturday and Sunday up there with them. Came back Monday to find out from the doctor. And so I wasn't alone that whole weekend, which was nice. Kind of was able to keep my mind off of things a little bit. But mm-hmm. good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if I had those two days off, I would have catastrophized things. And I'd be like, all right, like, let's all go to, let's all go to the water park. Yeah. <laughs> my last days at the water park or something. Check it out for the last yeah. time. Yeah. To shoot guns. Mm-hmm. No, but the whole thing though, I was never super worried about dying from it. For some reason, I just knew I was gonna have a fight on my hands, but mm-hmm. I wasn't like, scared of dying. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like your head's your your head can also almost make it worse than it really is. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is it. I'm gonna die. It's gonna. Oh no. Yeah. 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 You need other people there. Mm-hmm. They're gonna just be supportive for you. Yeah. yeah. They'll be level headed and calm me down, keep you centered. Yeah. 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 I think that could go one of two ways. Either you spiral and you go crazy thinking, oh, no, my life's about to end. Or you just kind of step up and stay strong and like you seem mm-hmm. to have done. Yeah. And just like what happens, happens. Just go with it. Yeah. You just got to fight it. Yeah. You just got to do what you got to do. Wow. It's a hard thing in people's lives, like when they lose people or they think they could lose their own life. I mean, that's. Like we were talking about with losing your brother, stuff like that. Those things change a person. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they make people live life a little different way. Yeah. Maybe live it more, a more full life. Yeah, more authentically. And they make you stronger mentally, I think, to yeah. be able to handle tough situations if you've mm-hmm. done it before. Yeah, because, I mean, you've been through cancer. I mean, what is sitting in traffic to you? Probably yeah. nothing. Yeah. That's, it's, it's also good to look at the positives mm-hmm. that come from bad times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talk, I think we talked about that quote yesterday. The, you know, hard times make hard men, hard men make easy times or something like that. Yeah. Easy times make weak men. Exactly. And that's, I, that's, I just butchered that quote, but that's kind of the gist of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, very true. Absolutely. You, you go through something hard. It kind of makes you a harder person, but you're more resilient yep. to other things in life. Yeah. You can handle more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like when it comes to going through something, living your life a different way, that's that's another plus side because before that maybe you didn't value things as much and you probably value things more i I think i would anyways if i went through something like that yeah definitely you do value the little things a whole lot more Mm -hmm. you know quality time with your friends your family yeah it's not just you know sitting at home watching netflix Mm -hmm. i don't care to do that i like to go out and do stuff and yeah you just care about a lot more about experiencing life and living yeah be mindful Mm -hmm. yeah Go out, take your shoes off and go out and stand in the grass and really be aware of your surroundings yeah. versus just taking a shit on everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, working at the prison, originally your goal was to be a police officer, yep. correct? Yep. Have you thought about still continuing that or do you enjoy being a corrections officer? Uh, I still want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be a whole lot more fulfilling than what I do now. Yeah. Right now, I'm pretty much a glorified babysitter mm-hmm. with just grown men who act like children. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think you run into that being a police officer as well. Yeah, but you're not dealing with the same shit bags every day, same yeah. behaviors. You That's can, probably true. You have the opportunity to actually help somebody, maybe, mm-hmm. which I don't. And but, even like with the current times, what's going on in the world, that doesn't change your mind a little bit on wanting to become a police officer. Not really. I think it's still a necessary job. Somebody's got to do it. Mm-hmm. Why not me? Yeah, I think I could do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've thought about that because that's something I used to want to do. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had family that were police officers. And we have friends that are police officers, stuff like that. And that's kind of something I always thought would be a very fulfilling job. Um, but then when all this stuff, I mean, police brutality, stuff like that's been going on forever. But yeah. it's more prevalent right now mm-hmm. than, than any time of our life, you know. Yeah. And I wonder, are kids today still saying, like, I want to be a cop when I go? You know, because right now, a lot of people don't like the cops. Yeah, most people, it seems like. I think there is people out there that understand that they are necessary and they do respect them. And Mm -hmm. and people like us who know there's good ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. And And, and you have the good mentality for it. mm -hmm. Like you've had struggle throughout your life. So you understand and you can relate to other people with that. And you're not just going to go out there and treat people like crap. And... And you might be the guy who walks up on a house and you're in the one that gets three kids out of an abusive family and gets into a better home mm-hmm. because the parents are completely neglect- neglecting them. Yeah. You know, so people talk about defunding police. It's like, so you're taking away the right for those three kids to have a better life now because mm-hmm. of the police officer to show up and take care of them. Yeah. In other cultures, when that happens, the local community essentially casts out or kills that family who's abandoning their children. Yeah. We can't do that here. It's completely against the law. Mm-hmm. So you need a police officer to go there and mm-hmm. get those kids out of there. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people are not recognizing 
a lot of the jobs that police officers do. They're just solely looking at the one of black guy gets pulled over and gets shot. Mm-hmm. That shit happens and it shouldn't happen. And hopefully that gets fixed. Mm-hmm. But there's still a way bigger picture now that's going on with a lot of good people out there doing the right thing and doing things that are making our communities better, you know. Mm-hmm. And no one's shining light on that. They're just shining on the negative small aspect of things that happen. Exactly. But I think that's that's mainstream media in general For nowadays sure. is they shine a light on the bad. And that gets more people to watch them and listen to them, and that's how they make money. Um, I think, like I was saying, we know – for a fact, there's good police officers out there. I, but I also know for a fact there's shit bags that are police officers too. I've, mm-hmm. I've had bad run-ins with police before, and it's, I think it's crazy that people would turn a, turn a blind eye to the fact there is bad ones too. There's gonna be, yeah. we're humans. There's gonna be errors. Maybe in a that field of work, there shouldn't be room for that. They should be better with people, mm-hmm. have better training. But, I mean, there's going to be assholes that are cops. There's assholes in every profession. Yep. Everybody deals with, with assholes in life. I just, I think, like, I mean, I'm not going to solve what's going on with race relations and police and all that. But the, I think the departments need to take a look at themselves yep. and figure out who those shitbags are and get them out of there. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've talked to people who are current police officers who say, yeah, there's, there's bad ones, too. It, mm-hmm. it happens. And I think now with like things like social media, it makes it way more known that uh-huh. I know like after the George Floyd stuff and all that, there was so many videos circulating mm-hmm. online of police brutality. And even me, I'm looking at it like, man, maybe there's more bad ones than I thought. Yeah. And I've always been very supportive of police because like I said, I had family members and friends that were police and I still am very supportive, but we need them. I mean, if yeah. somebody breaks into my house, I'm not going to call well, I might call Kevin. He might be able to come help me, but I'm going to call the police. I think it's uh, pretty cool to for someone who's dressed up in law enforcement to either have, and I've said this before, either have you know prior military experience or have gone to school because it's kind of showing that they have experience or some um, life experience before going in. And it's, and it's really showing that they want to be there kind of versus the mentality of, you know, I don't really know what to do with my life right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not wired to work at Best Buy or Kinko's. So I think I'm going to be a cop. Yeah. You know, I think it's showing the quality of person who's getting in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one other thing that will make our police force better is maybe if they go down that route. Yeah. You know, better training, people who really want to be there, they have experience already. Mm-hmm. Um, a type of experience, you know, or an education. Um, that's a good way of weaning it down. I know they were talking about this on Drew Rogan recently too. Like, you know, how the special forces weans people out. Mm-hmm. Wean the, the weak ones out, the ones they don't want. And yeah. if to, maybe if the police did the same thing, you'd get better quality dudes in there. And, and ladies as well. Excuse me. And, uh, yeah, it's just, a, I think it'd be a good process to start vetting people in that way. Absolutely. You know, and stop worrying about, have you had a cigarette in the last two years? Yeah. Like, you know what? Yeah. A kid was born, I had a cigarette. Fuck yourself, you know? Yeah. That's not a, that's not saying anything about the character, how good what the quality of a police officer I'll be if I've had one cigarette in two years, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or some of the weird shit they ask, you know? Are you like, you're a dog fucker. Like, clearly I'm not, yeah. you know? I, I remember actually Mordo telling me some questions that they asked him during that process. 
It's I had that exact question on my polygraph. Yeah, and have I, you ever one had of sex them, with an animal? Wasn't <laughs> another one like, have you ever had sex with a dead body yep. or something? I'm like, yep. oh man. Which I think like every system out there can be tweaked and fixed, and that's mm-hmm. probably one that should be. Because yeah, you don't want fucking weirdos becoming police officers. No, but and if they be- answer yes to those questions, you probably don't want them out there being a police officer. But mm-hmm. there's also like. Like if someone smoked pot ever or something, or in the past few years, it's like, does that matter that much? Yeah. I That's so crazy to me. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. They no. could go out there and be a good police officer. Mm-hmm. Just because he smokes weed in college doesn't mean yeah. anything about who he is today. Yeah. yeah. And I even think if they did it not on the job, if you treat it like alcohol. Because exactly. they don't care if you go home and down a 12-pack to suppress your feelings. Yeah. What about if someone had a joint at night? Mm-hmm. It'd probably be better because... It was going to much more closely mimic the natural brainwaves while you're sleeping. You'll get better sleep, which means you'll have better recovery and you'll be in a better mood the next day. Yeah. Versus alcohol causing you to be basically knocked out and mm-hmm. have bad sleep, more aggression, more irritability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why would you, you know, demonize recreational marijuana but not alcohol when you if you if a police officer used it at night for the same reasons would have be a had more benefit from it. Yeah. I know a guy that had an opportunity to become a police officer here recently and he was like towards the final steps and then they found out he had taken an edible like within the past six months or something like that and disqualified. It's and crazy. It's like, it's like, man, that does not make him a bad person. It's no. Not, it's not deviant behavior. No. no. And no. especially nowadays, people's eyes are more open to the fact that marijuana helps some people and cancer patients. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Me personally, I've never even smoked it. Not once. Mm-hmm. It's just never been in my wheelhouse and I've always had jobs that drug tested things like that. But I don't look down on people that do it. I I, I compare it to alcohol, but like you said, it's probably better. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta it's, be. It's not for everybody. And maybe it's because I know people talked about the strains are different. We were in the seventies, like what your parents use is different. And I think coming into the game too late was not good for me because I tried it like Either gives me panic attacks. The last time I had it where it didn't onset anxiety attack or something was I was like home on leave for my first at plans in Iraq. It was like 2008 or nine, And we're all, all the boys were hanging out and they're like, hey, it's going to take a hit. It's like, let's go to the strip club. And it was like my idea. Like, we're going. Like, we'll still take a hit for us. Like, fuck it. I'll do it. And next thing I'm waking up in the morning, like, yeah, we were about to leave. You took a hit and then we walked in the room and you were naked on your bed. Passed out. <laughs> like, okay. So clearly coming into the game too late and trying to take a hit of something that someone is used to using mm-hmm. is too strong. Yeah. Like I could see people having better benefits out of it. that are not habitual users finding strains that are weak. They're like what your grandparents used. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be very beneficial. I think different people react to differently. I'm sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I know people personally that smoke and you'd never even know. Mm-hmm. You would have no idea that they had just smoked. They are a functioning human being, but then I've known people who take it and they are worthless. Yeah. And I think, I think that just falls under a person's personality. Their the way their chemical makeup, you know, I don't. I don't think it makes somebody a loser either. I think if someone's a loser and they smoke pot, they're going to be more of a loser. You're already a loser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I know successful people that smoke it. Like I said, it's never been my thing, but I don't. I don't demonize it. No, no, no. not at all. So uh, we are past an hour now, I believe. Um, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions, trying to make this a thing. 
Rapid it worked. It actually worked pretty well in the last episode. And I'm just going to ask you the same ones I asked him. All right. Which this might not be <clears throat> chronologically make that the last episode, but all right. What's your favorite city you've ever been to that you don't currently live in? I'd have to say Copenhagen, Denmark. Nice. Yeah. What is your favorite beverage? Beverage? Probably uh, Red Bull or coffee. If you had to pick one superpower, what would it be? Strength. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you had to pick one fictional character to beat up, who is it? Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> That was a out of left field there. <laughs> and the final one, your last meal. If you had to pick a last meal, what would you eat? Last meal, I'd have a good ribeye steak. Good call. Medium good call. What would your last meal be, Kevin? Probably spaghetti. I'd probably go pizza. Pizza. I've never had a bad pizza. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's it. Anything else you want to talk no, about? No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you came on. And we talked we talked about this with previous guests. We'll have you back again awesome. later on down the road because there's always so much more we could cover. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. It's good seeing you for the first time in a couple of years. All right, it's been way too long. I'm, I'm very, very happy you beat cancer. And <laughs> appreciate you're still that. here. And, yeah, so, all right, I'm going to say this at the end of every episode, but everybody be nice to people out there.